Turn to First Peter, chapter one. All right, you guys are going to have a good time. First Peter, chapter one. We're taking a brief uh, one Sunday hiatus from First John as we work through um, First Peter as we celebrate the resurrection. So I'll be reading First uh, Peter, chapter one, verses one through uh, twelve. And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? So Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So, so here's where we are. It's uh, you know, Resurrection Sunday. And we are looking at the, the Apostle Peter who is writing a letter to the, the saints. Again, in, in verse 2 or verse 1, we know that it's Peter. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He did a lot of things with Jesus. He was called by Christ. And he's writing to these elect exiles, to the dispersion. So essentially what has happened is that all of the Jews who were in Jerusalem have been dispersed because of Roman persecution. And so they're all over the place. And in the midst of being all over the place, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of discord, living in a sin-ravaged world, you know, Peter's writing a letter to them to encourage them. And we get to a place in Peter where in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he begins, and, and in the midst of talking about the gospel, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. We're talking about people who are literally losing their lives for the gospel. Their lives are not easy. Their lives are very, very difficult. And Peter, in the midst of this, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is this sense in which he he looks up to heaven, and he begins almost a song, a worship song, in the midst of trying to, to encourage them. And it's interesting because Peter is a fascinating character within the New Testament. As you think about the Apostle Peter, um, a lot of us who speak too much, too often, too quickly, uh, and have something called you know, foot-and-mouth disease, 
we find him to be the apostle that we emulate and embrace. I don't know if any of you feel that way at all. I don't know if any of you open your mouth too often. That you use, um, even though you have one mouth, it seems to override the two ears that you have. But Peter is that guy. Let me, let me just look back, okay, because Peter is, is an interesting figure. So let's just look back at you know, the New Testament about Peter the Apostle. So in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus is explaining some things to his apostles about the upcoming um, time in Jerusalem, about his crucifixion, about his sufferings for the sake of the world. And here's what, um, let me just recount this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You get this right? Like, so Peter goes to Jesus and says, No, we're not going to have any of that. To which point Jesus says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Mm. That's something right there. You don't ever want to be called Satan by Jesus, just so you know. Not a good thing. Now, Peter goes on. You know, Peter stays with Jesus, even in the midst of this. And in Matthew chapter 26, uh, we actually um, read about, you know, Jesus um, actually talks about how Peter is going to betray him. Here, here it is. And so they're, they're in the Passover. They're, they're celebrating the Passover. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Jesus is saying, tonight is a rough night for you, Peter. You're going to deny me. I mean, this is akin to this. So let's just say, for the sake of example, I go out to uh, breakfast with somebody, and we, we decide to go you know, first watch over at Newport News. And I'm hanging out. And let, I'll just use Bill Yoakum as an example because he's in front of me. And, and so Bill and I, we're good friends, and we're, we're sitting there at first watch, and we're, we're having a good time. And Bill says, George, you are my friend. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm like, Bill, I really appreciate that, man. But you know, sometimes there might, he says, no, I am for you. There is nothing that will happen that will ever keep me from helping you. Now on the way back home, I, my car breaks down on the JRB and Bill is riding behind me and he sees me break down and he passes me and goes, I don't really think I knew that guy. That couldn't have been George's car. You know, I'm sure that that wasn't George who broke down on the JRB. You know, that couldn't have been him. There's no way that his car would have broken down. Uh, I'm just going to look the other way and keep going, right? Well, this is far worse because, you know, Jesus actually says, you will fall away. And they all say, no, no, we're not going to do it. Now, in Matthew 26, verse 69, this is what happens with Peter. Now, Peter, after Jesus was arrested, they scattered. And and Peter's, you know, um, still following Jesus, but at a distance. He's still following kind of, how is this going to work itself out? So Peter at a distance is following Jesus, and here's what it says. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, 
And a servant, this is all the same night, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The only piece that we see in the Gospel of Luke that is different than that is in Luke chapter 22. Um, what we find is that when, when Jesus, um, but Peter, at his last time, when Peter said for the last time, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And so there was some way where there was a window, a column in the way, and all of a sudden Jesus turns to Peter and looks at him at the moment that he denies him. And Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, that's Peter in you know, Matthew, and that's Peter in Luke. I want you to see Peter in the book of Acts for a second, okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Acts. And we're just going to look real quickly at a couple places because something happens, right? Something happens to Peter. In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, something happens, and it says, but Peter... Now remember, this is Peter who just denied Jesus. But in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And this is a huge crowd. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. And then if you, um, you go down to verse 22, he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you see the denial and then the proclamation of Peter? If you just look in the book of Acts a little bit further, I love this section of Scripture, Acts chapter 4. You know, this is Peter who is before the council. This is Peter who, pre-resurrection, was a, almost a shell of himself. But in verse 8, we read this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, 
by which we must be saved. Now, the reason I do this, and the reason I say I want to set this juxtaposition, is there is something dramatic that happens between the rooster crowing three times and Jesus, uh, and then Peter standing up for the name of Jesus to the to the Sanhedrin, to the to the you know the, the elders of the day, those who had the authority to cast him out and probably put him to death. What is it that occurred in the midst of this time? Now, um, I remember um, I'm, I'm a baseball fan, and so whenever things don't add up, um, I'm always looking for the other thing. So. If you're a baseball fan, and, and you remember maybe 1996, okay? Some of you were very young in 1996. Some of you were not born in 1996. Many of us do remember 1996, but you not, might not remember the baseball season. There were a couple people who just had unbelievable seasons in 1996 baseball-wise. One of them's name was Ken Caminiti. And some of you who are baseball fans might go, yeah, that rem- there's a vague recollection. Well, he had his best season he has ever had ever did have or ever would have. And all of a sudden you're like, what happened to this guy? There's another guy who played for the Orioles in 1996. His name was Brady Anderson. He hit 50 home runs that season. He had never hit 25 home runs in his, in his career, and he never hit 25 home runs after that season that he hit 50. And so you're looking around and you're going, what happened in 1996 that caused all of these home runs and everything else? And here's what it is. It's called steroids. Okay. So when one and one add up to seven, you're missing five digits, okay? The five digits in 1996 of Major League Baseball was called steroids. What's missing in the story that I just told you about Peter are are three significant things that I find. I just want to reveal these three significant things. First, what happens between when the rooster crowed and Peter denied him and he wept, and what happens uh, between him becoming the apostle um, and, and, and really proclaiming Jesus in Acts chapter 4. Well, the first is this. It's the resurrection happens. It's that Jesus, who was dead on the cross, who took upon himself all the sins of everyone who would believe upon him, he, was, um, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again. And the resurrection in 1 Peter you know, chapter 1, verse 3 says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter speaks about this. This is the supreme event that occurs in the New Testament, the resurrection, according to his great mercy. Now, the mercy that God is giving us is that he is causing us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now mercy, now, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's what that means. You don't get what you deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. But mercy is the mercy that flows forth from God, saying that we're all sinners, we all transgress His laws, we're all broken, bent, and distorted. And that's because of sin. But because of His great mercy... Because of his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Because when he dies on the cross, all of our sins are placed upon him. But when he rises from the grave, it says that all of these things are done. 
that sin and death has been overcome. And that's the beauty of the gospel message. Now, you know, when we think about this idea of mercy, I mean, many of us today are not crying out mercy, but many of us are crying out for justice, right? For justice. Like, give me justice. Well, what would justice be at the hands of a holy God? The justice of God would be that we pay the penalty for our sins. And Romans 3 says, you know, for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God, um, but, but the wages of our sins is death. So what we owe for our sins and for our transgressions is death. That's justice. I heard, this, um, I heard a pastor named Alistair Begg, who's, who's a great pastor, um, and I like listening to his sermons. And he said this, he said, you know, I don't want justice, I want mercy. And he used this analogy. He said he was getting his picture taken for, the, um, for his pictorial directory in his church. And he's aged a little bit. And, you know, and, and he recognizes that he's from England and he's got you know, these really, really big ears. And, and, he, and he says, you know, really, he went to the photographer and he said this, would you please do my picture justice? And the photographer said to him, you don't want me to do justice. You want me to do mercy. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny because he said, he goes, yeah, that's really what I want. I want mercy. Not just with regard to my physical attributes, but I want the mercy of God because I don't want to be held you know, liable for my sins. You see, the gospel message is this, is that because of a holy God, every sin that you ever have committed will be punished because God is holy, righteous, and just. And either Jesus pays the penalty, penalty for your sins on the cross, or you pay the penalty for your sins. The good news is that in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According to his great mercy, that which we did not deserve, he has caused us to be born again, regenerated to a living hope, not a hope that is dead, but a hope where Jesus is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection happens between Jesus being a heel and a hero. But there's another thing that happens for Peter. Because can you imagine if you're Peter and you've denied Jesus three times and you've heard the, I mean, every time you hear a rooster crow, imagine, I mean, you would have PTSD every morning from every rooster that ever, ever crowed, right? I mean, that's why European churches have roosters on top of their churches, that's why weather vanes have roosters on top of churches, you know, or, or you know, roosters on top of weather vanes. And so that when they would, people would look to the top of this, the, the church, they would see a rooster and they would ask the question, have I denied Christ today? But Peter is not only, you know, he not only is affected by the resurrection, but there's also a deep forgiveness of Peter for his past sins. In John chapter 21, verse 15, when Jesus is restoring the, the apostles and giving them their mission, he says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Speaking about the apostles. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now remember, it wasn't very long ago that Peter denied him. And in a threefold denial, Jesus asks him three times, does he love him? in order to restore him. And so Jesus says to him, he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now in that threefold question to Peter, essentially what Jesus is saying is, Peter, we are good. We are reconciled. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Follow me. See, the resurrection overcomes you know, the power of sin and death, but the forgiveness of Christ comes to Peter in the person of Jesus. And that is significant because forgiveness has great power in your lives. The third thing that happened that we see uh, for Peter is... Uh, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 says this, and this is the ascension of Jesus, but the giving of the Holy Spirit to Peter. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so when they had come together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so you see what happened in the life of Peter is that the resurrection happened, the Forgiveness of Christ you know, caused him great solace. And then the Holy Spirit worked in him to encourage him and to give him words to speak. Now, in the life of a believer, in the life of a believer, these are also the things that happen to us. Because of the resurrection, because of the, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus upon the cross, our sins are forgiven. And if you have trusted and believed in Jesus, then brothers and sisters, you need to know that you are forgiven. But not only forgiven, but you're also equipped. You're equipped with the Holy Spirit. You're loved into the family of God. And this is, this is what Peter is getting into right now. He's talking about these things when, when he talks about, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he goes, according to his great mercy, not his justice, but his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. And in verse 4, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So what, he, what he's saying there, Peter is saying, yes, difficulties are here, but through the resurrection, through the forgiveness of Christ, through the coming of the Holy Spirit upon you, you have been equipped and gifted to a great inheritance. And this is coming to a people who are struggling because, I mean, we do this today, right? I mean, how many of us go, my life is very difficult and nobody understands how difficult my life is right now? Many people struggle with that. 
I mean, you may be overwhelmed. Um, matter of fact, um, it, was, it was not long ago, I was at uh, Langley Air Force Base. And, you know, sometimes people might ask me, like, George, are you, are, are you effective at counseling? And, and this guy came in, and he just came, and he was just overwhelmed with life. Just overwhelmed with life. And here's why. You know, he had just promoted to, um, to become a, uh, you know, an, an NCO. You know, he was working in, in the intelligence field. Uh, he was working some long hours, and he had people that were not, you know, doing their job very well. At the same time, he had, four, he had three children under the age of four, and his wife was pregnant. He came in, and he goes, I'm tired. And I'm like, yeah, I see why you're tired. You know, like, I understand why you're tired. Your, your job is hard. You know, um, your, your things over here are busy, busy, busy. You haven't had a good night's sleep in how long? He goes, I don't know. He goes, how are you getting through the days? He goes, uh, it's all based upon Red Bull and caffeine drinks. That's how he's getting through his days. I'm like, you're, and, and so he, he's telling me this, and he's just overwhelmed, right? And so what I had to tell him was this. I said, and it's similar to what Peter's trying to get the people who are struggling right now. He goes, I said, hold on. I said, let me get this straight. You have a wife that loves you. You have three beautiful children. You have a child on the way. You have a secure job. You have a top secret clearance. You just got promoted, and, and, and your, your, your family loves you. All of these things, you're in Christ. All of these things, right? And he goes, yes. I said, you are winning at life. He goes, winning at life does not feel good right now. And I said, yes. Monster drinks are not meant to be consumed like that. You know, by the way, I don't understand why we give monster drinks to people in like their early 20s. It would seem to me that we would give monster drinks to people in nursing homes to get them moving along, you know, <laughs> not to people in their early 20s. It just seems totally un- un- uncalled for completely. But in the midst of it, I looked at him and I said, do you understand that you have a wife that loves you, children that, that you know, run to you, you have a great job, you have great stability, and you're in Christ. All of these things are true. And he goes, I guess my life's not nearly as bad. I said, it's not nearly as bad. I said, but here's what you got to do. And here's my very spiritual counsel to him. One is I said, you need to be in church and you need to understand what it means to be in Christ. And I said, now here's my very unspiritual thing. I said, clean up your diet, take a nap, and start to exercise. And you might feel a little bit better. And he goes, yeah, I guess my life is pretty good. You know, what Peter's trying to tell us right here is that your life is pretty good if you are in Christ. Now, he uses this metaphor. If we are in Christ, let me use this metaphor. Sometimes we don't use it. It's this idea of union with Christ. This idea that you know, his grace comes to us and we are um, united with Christ. In his uh, book, Deeper, Dane Orland has a chapter on this. Um, and he speaks about it in this way. Our union with Christ transforms our thinking about who we are. Okay, So here's what I want you to get. If you are in Christ, it should transform your thinking through the resurrection, through the forgiveness, through the Holy Spirit, our union with Christ. And here's what he says. Here's an, an analogy. And I thought this was very poignant. He says, if you can bear with an irreverent illustration, think of yourself as an onion. The outer peel consists of the peripheral things about you, the parts of you that don't matter much, your clothes, the car you drive, things like that. If you peel away that layer, what's next? a collection of things slightly more essential to who you are. The family you were raised in, your personality profile, your blood type, your volunteer work, peel that away. The next deeper layer is your relationships, your dearest friend, your roommates. If you're a student, your spouse, if you're married, peel that away. 
The next deeper layer is what you believe about the world, the truths you cherish deep in your heart, who you believe God is, what your final future is, where you think world history is heading. The next deeper layer, as we continue to pull away layers, the next deeper layer after that comprises your sins and secrets, past and present, things about you no one else knows. Keep peeling away layer after layer, everything that makes you you. And what do you find at the core? If you are in Christ, you are united to Christ. That is the core. That is the most irreducible reality about you. Peel everything else away. And there's this solid, immovable truth about you is that you are joined to Christ. You are in union with the resurrected Lord. Now that is talking about the idea of, you know, our union with Christ, our inheritance with Christ. You know, we find this in you know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raising us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's this joining together that in the same way that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, we are seated at the right hand of God. That our union with Christ is the most essential thing about us. If you are joined to Christ through union, this comes by faith. And then First Peter speaks about this idea of this inheritance. This inheritance that is... Um, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And we think about the benefits, the benefits of of being in Christ, being joined to Christ. Let me just list off a few of those. If you are in Christ today, that means that you are adopted into the family of God, that you are no longer a slave or an orphan or an enemy, but you are part of the family of God. That you have a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe that you have been justified and declared righteous in His law court, that you are being sanctified, which means He is dealing with the defilement of your sinfulness. You are being washed and being made physically clean. You have been redeemed out of slavery. You have been purchased. You have been liberated from your imprisonment of sin. You have been born again to a new birth. You have been illuminated, meaning that there's this idea that now you understand what is true about God and what He has for you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is this promise of the resurrection, this bodily metaphor that one day when you close your eyes, that you will have your body, a new body in the new heavens and the new earth where the souls of believers who do at their death go to be with the Lord Jesus will be reunited with a resurrected body. You begin to think about that. Those are all the benefits of being in Christ to being joined to Christ. As we think about these benefits, Jonathan Edwards says this about these particular um, things. And and this this blew me away. Um, I I quoted Edwards last week, um, but Edwards this week, here's what he has to say. Jonathan Edwards says, by virtue of the believer's union with Christ, he does in fact possess all things. But it may be asked, how does he possess all things? What is he the better for it? How is a true Christian so much richer than other people? To answer this, 
I'll tell you what I mean by possessing all things. I mean that God, three in one, all that He is and all that He has and all that He does, all all humans, devils, sun, moon, and stars, land and sea, fish and fowls, all silver and gold, kings and potentates are as much the Christian's as the money in his pocket, the clothes he wears, the house he dwells in, or the food he eats. Yes, properly his, advantageously his, by virtue of the union with Christ. Because Christ, who certainly does possess all things, is entirely his. So that the Christian possesses it all, more than a wife, the share of the best and the dearest husband, more than the hand possesses what the head does, it is all his. Every atom in the universe is managed by Christ, so that as to be the most to the advantage of the Christian, every particle of air or every ray of sun, so that he is in the other world when he comes to see it, shall sit and enjoy all this vast inheritance with surprising, amazing joy. And you're like, how does that work? Because I know, like, you know, I was about to say, like, I do have change in my pockets, I never do. You know, like, I don't have, like, any coins in my pockets, but when you have money in your back pocket, you're like, but to know that if you are joined to Christ, and if Christ owns all things, if you are in Christ, then all those things are yours as well. That blows my mind when I think about what it means to be joined to Christ, to be in union with Christ, to trust and believe in Jesus. But this union with Christ, it also talks about us being guarded. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, I'm I'm sorry, in verse 5, it says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Like, here's here's the thing. Isn't it good to be protected? Isn't it good to know that you are protected and loved by another? There's something just incredibly comforting for us to know that we are protected in Christ. Dane Ortland in, in that same chapter says, there, therefore nothing, because of our union with Christ, therefore nothing can touch you that does not touch Him. To get you, every pain, every assault, every disappointment has to go through Him, Jesus, our elder brother. You are shielded by invincible love. Everything that washes into your life, no matter how hard comes from and through the tender care of the friend of sinners. He himself feels your anguish even more deeply than you do because you're one with him. And he mediates everything hard in your life through his love for you because you're one with him. Picture yourself standing in a circle with an invisible but impenetrable wall around you, a sphere of impregnability. But it's not a circle. It's a person. And the person the one before whom John fell down as he grappled for words to describe what he was looking at as one whose eyes were like flames of fire and his voice like the roar of many waters has been made one with you. The might of heaven, the power that flung galaxies into existence has swept you into himself and he loves you. And you are there 
to stay. Amid the storms of your little existence, the sins, sufferings, the failures, and the faltering, the waywardness and the wandering, He, meaning Jesus, is going to walk you right into heaven. Brothers and sisters, tell me how comforting that is. To know that in the midst of our failures and our faltering, the waywardness and the wandering, the sins and the sufferings, that our Savior will walk us into heaven. And He will declare, My beloved, I love you. We celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate our union with Christ. We celebrate our inheritance in Christ. We celebrate the forgiveness we have in Christ. We celebrate the Holy Spirit. And we long for the day when we will be walked into heaven with our Savior. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to trust and believe in you. That we would not believe in horses or chariots or the secular world's philosophy of what is good or evil, but that we would trust and believe in you. For Father, you alone define what is good. You alone define what is just and righteous. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would trust and believe. Father, there is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and his name is Jesus. And he is kind, and he is forgiving, and he is loving. And Father, may we also know that He is all-powerful. And that if we are joined to Him, then we have all things. Father, may we rejoice in Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.